Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast, where we feature unscripted interviews with graduates of the United States Military Academy Class of 1991. The Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast with your host, Jamie Schleck, starts now. Okay, all right. Welcome, everybody, to the Old Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Schleck. And today is uh, Sunday, July 25th, 2021. Uh, and our esteemed guest this evening is none other than our classmate, Alex Rogers, company I4. Alex, are you there? I am here. Awesome. Awesome. Let's just give this a couple minutes to make sure that we're, uh, that we're broadcasting live on Facebook and people are able to see us because normally I see like one or two people give me a thumbs up or something. Let me know that they're there. I know that we're recording too, so this is going to go into the, um, this will end up going into the uh, um, Podbean app and be available on a bunch of podcast platforms. I see Jeff Simpson give us a thumbs up, so we're rocking and rolling. We got four people on the line and uh, right now and more people will be coming on. So welcome, Alex, and welcome to the Old Grab Podcast. It's awesome to have you here. Um, well, thanks for uh, thanks for having me tonight. <laughs> you have been a frequent listener, I've noticed, on these podcasts, and so tell me, uh, you've listened to quite a few of them, I think, right? Uh, yes, yes, I have. I've, I've been able to tune into most, if not all, of them uh, during, since you've started this up. So it's been a great learning more about our classmates. Uh, you know, some of the things they got into at the academy. Where you know how they actually decided to go to West Point and what they've done since we've graduated. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. It, it's been a labor of love for me to do it. And I keep it keeps evolving to have more and more impact, I think. And I've, I've had you know, like to a T, almost everybody that I've talked to said, you know, thank you for what you're doing. I love it. It's such a great thing to be connected. Um, I I personally enjoy doing it. And there's been all these strategic byproducts, things that have kind of you know, been offshoots as a result of it. You know, there's been a couple people that have reconnected um, uh, as a result. And, you know, I know that my own company, we did our own little, our own, own little vacation together um, about a year and a half ago in the, in the, in the DR. And that was awesome. And there's this whole healthy leaders cohort that has been an offshoot of it, which is Tracy Fisher and working with so many of our classmates and creating this cohort model of uh, basically like, a community of learning and sharing with each other. And, and um, it's just amazing to have this relationship to so many people, you know, these common, the, we have this common experience and the shared journey of life starting at West Point and going to where we are. So it's just so, so great to have that. So, and it's so great to yep. have you on this podcast tonight. I'm so excited to have you. So thank you. Thanks for, thanks for joining being on this podcast. Oh, well, again, thanks for having me. It's good to, I guess it's my turn to represent I-4. I think I'm the first I-beamer to come on, on to the broadcast. You sure are. I've been after you for a while, too, right? I was chasing you down. Yes. Well, I have, this, I have, I have the distinction uh, amongst others of being in 4th uh, Platoon, 4th Squad of I India Company during B. So, Truly, the last uh, squad in the corps, corps of cadets, at least in our class. You are, yeah, literally, literally bringing up the rear, right? In terms of, uh, 
uh, parades and everything else. What has, well, that's got, what's that like? Let's talk about that for a second. When you're I-4, you're the last ones to pass and review, right? Like, are the stands emptying out by the time you guys pass and review? What happens there? Well, we're definitely out there uh, for, for quite, a, quite a long time. I guess the joke used to be that the cadets in First Ridge could be back in the barracks and had, made a, had completed a McDonald's run in the Highland Falls. By the time we were still, by the time we actually arrived back in the area of the barracks, so. Um, but you know, you gotta take what the, you gotta take what the core gives you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And you did it for four years. Were you were you your were you a core squad athlete or were you just a, a company member? Well, I was actually um, I was on the swim team for for a year for plebe year, so I. You know, growing up, I actually participated in competitive swimming. So probably from the time I was uh, nine or ten, all the way through, you know, plebe year at West Point. So um, did age group swimming in the state of Illinois, and uh, sometimes you know came down to Florida for for Y nationals, but traveled all over the Midwest uh, during my during my uh, you know childhood. And my brothers and my sister also uh, participated in swimming. Um, my brother, Daryl, ended up, he, he swam all four years at West Point, and he was the captain of the swim team his first year. Oh, no kidding. Yes. So you've got, what? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about the family situation real quick, and then we'll, I'm sure we'll get back to it along the way. You've got two brothers that also followed you in the academy, right? So your, young, your younger two brothers graduated class of 94 and 97, I think, right? That's correct. Yeah, Daryl's 94, and uh, Elliot is class 97. Uh, so Daryl was in D1 when we were when we were firsties. So for the first couple of years, and um, then I have a sister-in-law that went to West Point. She's class of 95. And my brother and my cousin uh, Chuck Johnson is class of 88. He was in A1. So, wow, proud a proud family of a bunch of West Pointers, huh? Yeah, it it it, uh, it kind of turned out. It's interesting how it turned out. Um, my next door neighbor, um, John Depenay, is class of '66, and he uh, he one day he 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 suggested that I you know look at West Point as an opportunity, and uh, he thought I'd, I'd be a good fit for the what the academy was looking for. So I, I received a call from a recruiter um, one evening, and he asked me if I was interested. In, I said, go ahead and send me the packet of information. Um, as it turned out, you know, John's brother went to West Point. He's class of 74, and his son ended up going to West Point, too. Uh, he's class of, and he's class of 96. So, um, and John's, John's brother, uh, Jerry, he actually ended up being the Catholic chaplain at West Point. So um, he was there in the, er- in the early 2000s. Jerry Depenay was the chaplain. So, the Catholic chaplain was like a Catholic priest. He was a Catholic priest. Was he? Was he in the army too? Yes, yes, yes. Jerry's in the army. Yep, yep. Wow. So, yeah, I guess I just saw a picture of him. He was, uh, you know, they have that fifty-year class affiliation program, and class of seventy-four, you know, is obviously with the class of two thousand and twenty-four. So, I saw, I saw him. He was, he was there like last week, or with a couple of other classmates. So. You know, I, I was fascinated. I, I've, I love that 50 year affiliate program. I think it's so awesome. Like it's such a cool experience. And I think I've talked about it once before. Like, could you imagine our 50 year affiliate class would have been the class of 41, the class that like, you know, led, 
led soldiers onto the beaches of, you know, in, on D-Day and, and, you know, 101st and, 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 uh, and Nininger was in that class, you know, who the, Nin the Nininger award is, is, is uh, awarded in his honor. I mean, those were amazing, uh, amazing stories that must have been that what a tremendous experience that would have been for us to have that 50 year affiliate class. Yes. That's, yes. That's pretty incredible. I believe my, I believe my brother Elliot's uh, roommate received that manager award. I, I, I think, I think he, I don't, I don't recall his name. I've never met him, but his brother, my brother said his roommate received it. So I actually, hold on. I got this book right here. There's a book about that class. It's called Black Black Forty One. Is the is the is this book about the class of forty one, and it 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 chronicles their whole class. I guess some historian just kind of wrote about 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 this uh, class, a class of forty one, and all the all the amazing stories. So there's a whole book about our fifty year affiliate class. But so what what I found fascinating, having hiked the Appalachian Trail with Scott Halstead and having a lot of time talking with him is how much the academy leadership just shakes their head with a 50-year affiliate program. And, and because these guys, because they're all guys, I mean, there's no women yet, like the 50-year affiliate class hasn't reached the class of 80 yet. They are so irreverent and so unpolished. And so, you know, they'll end up having interactions with the, with the, with the first e class or with the class at the academy class. And they'll have to like, sort of like, you know, basically like back off of all, what all these guys have said, you know, like, like the kind of irreverence and the, and the um, sort of non, like semi non-professional things that are, that are being said. So. Kind well, of I'll, I'll tell you one time, one time we had, we had parade practice for the uh, brigade staff or something. And, uh, a certain four, uh, a certain famous four-star general who used to be the superintendent, uh, I, I believe, is the superintendent. Uh, he made a made a kind of an off off-color reference, and the, our classmates were directed never to like repeat it. <laughs> what, that were there. Who was that? Was that Bernie <laughs> Rogers? It was probably General Rogers, I think. Right? I'm... No, it wasn't him. It wasn't him. Another one. Nineteen uh... sixties. Yeah. So, but, but anyway, but anyway, I, I do, I do remember that one situation from first a year. I remember this guy, General Rogers, his name is Rogers. He came and spoke mm -hmm. to our class. And um, this was, I mean, I put two and two together with this whole thing. He was referring to, he said that he ended up, I think he was superintendent. Or maybe he was commandant. Maybe he was commandant. And there was a cadet that was very troubled cadet and they graduated him. And then, and they graduated him that largely because he was the son of a senior officer, a three-star general who was mm -hmm. very, very, um, who was like a, you know, very highly decorated, highly respected three-star general. And then this cadet went on to Vietnam and was not a good officer. And they basically, discharged this this guy and then he went around and he wrote this terrible book about west point called dress gray so you put two and two together it's this guy lucian truscott so if you look at lucian truscott that's the name lucian truscott lucian truscott the the fourth 
is the one who wrote that book. And by the way, I don't think it's that terrible about West Point. I've actually read it. It's like, it's, you know, it's sensational kind of like, like fictional, um, historical fiction kind of a thing. And then he wrote a later book, which I thought was even, which I thought was more, probably cast West Point in a, a much more positive light. But his father was a three-star general in World War II. And I'm pretty sure that's who this guy, Bernie Rogers, was talking about. Okay. I, I mean, I've heard of, I've, I've heard of Lucian Truscott. I think he's a, he's a writer for one of the magazine for a magazine or something, right? Something like that. Is anyway. He? Yeah, I believe so. I have to look him up. I, we, we digress. We get sidetracked on little trivia, trivial <laughs> trivia. So, um, so, 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 so give me the lowdown where you live in, what's going on. Give me the work situation. Uh, would love to hear what's going on. Well, uh, my wife and I, we live in uh, Wellington, Florida, which is in Palm Beach County. So not far from Palm, West Palm Beach and uh, Boca Raton. Um, and uh, we, we uh, so, uh, you know, it's interesting you brought up the kind of the work situation. So I know this is probably going to may shock some people on the call, but my wife and I are actually, we're, we're going to be moving to uh, Oregon in the next, uh, in September, because I, I recently joined uh, Nike uh, in, as a director of technology finance. So um, we're off to the races and onto some new frontier frontiers here. But uh, you know, I've kind of I've lived in nine different states over my lifetime. I've worked for you know Walmart, uh, Office Depot, GE Healthcare, a utility company, and and most recently uh, Chewy uh, here in South Florida, um, and, and a variety of different finance uh, leadership roles. So uh, I was in the army for about four and a half, about about uh, you know four and a half years, and then went went to business school, and then started my corporate journey from there. So we have breaking news then. Here, breaking news: Alex Rogers is relocating to Portland, Oregon. So Oregonians, get ready because Buck Rogers is coming to town. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I'm that's looking, yeah we're. So we, neither my wife nor I have ever been to Oregon, so we'll certainly be. Uh, it'll be a new adventure for us, but we're we're really excited about uh, going out there. So does your um, wife, I know that. We, does your wife work? Yes. Yeah. No, my wife. My, my wife doesn't work. Um, she's actually she's actually not here right now, but she's in um, she's in Michigan visiting her mom for for three weeks. But interestingly, um, my wife, you know, she's worked. My wife has worked. It's been a good time in the uh, deal time in the automotive industry. She's worked for Ford, GM, and Chrysler, and uh, as a, she used to work in the GM headquarters. And she would actually run into Ron Hall as he would walk into his office when he worked in that. He worked in the same building. She would actually see him in the morning coming into work. She just didn't know who he was until our ten-year reunion. So you mentioned, and we have this pre, I have like this pre-call template, pre-call notes. You mentioned in the pre-call template, you said one of your greatest, proudest personal accomplishments was marrying your wife, Donna. So how did you guys meet? Give me the story. Why is this such a uh, memorable accomplishment? Well, uh, well, <laughs> this is another, this, is a, this might be another shocker to everyone. So the way that I met my wife was I was a uh, Ebony's most eligible bachelor. And so my wife, Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, back up, back up, back up. So what, you're in Ebony Magazine? Yes, and I was, uh, I was the most eligible bachelor, and that's how I met my wife. 
Wait a minute. Hold on. Is it? Can I pull this up on the internet if I go Ebony most most eligible? I don't, I don't know, but I can tell you that uh, a couple of my roommates crank called me at work related to that incident. So that episode. So I got I got some I got some ribbing from the I Beamers uh, as an outcome of that. Hold on. I'm I'm looking at this. Wait, is this just a magazine or is this a movie? I, I mean, it's like a a, a, I mean, I, I know it's a magazine, but it's like a video or would I be able? Hold on. Ebony, most eligible bachelors, Alex Rogers. See if I find this, Alex. We didn't talk about this on the, on the, on the, hold on. No, we did not. Alex Rogers profile, Pinterest. Let me see. Hmm. I don't even, I don't even recall what year it is. I have a picture of it. I, I, have, a, I, have, a, I have a copy of the magazine. Um, so. Oh, you got, so listen, I want to put this, this will be in the, this will be in the, in the podcast notes will be a link to this picture. So you have to send me that picture and I want to populate this uh, episode with that picture. So anyway, how do you get into Ebony magazine as most eligible bachelor? How does that happen? Uh, well, I think, I think I had to fill out some type of like application or something for it, but it's, as it turned out, uh, one of the editors at the magazine had a brother that went to West Point. I can't remember her. I can't remember his name, but he was like he was on the football team. He was a running back, I believe. So in a class or two behind us. So, so that's what uh, you know. So I guess I was the only West Point grad on on the, on the list uh, at the time. So wait. So um, did she see this? Did she see this magazine? And say I need to talk to that guy. Is that what happened? Uh, yes, but. You know, as a, you know, what happened, what actually happened, though, uh, my, that profile picture that you use for the podcast, that picture was in uh, Jet Magazine, which is a sister publication of Ebony Magazine. So she actually saw me in that picture, and she thought I was married. But, you know, then I turned up in the, uh, you know, Ebony Magazine, and then that's, well, that's how we connected, <laughs> ended up connecting. Wow. Yep. And- and then what? You go on a couple of dates and fall in love, and that's it. Or like, was there any kind of like? Well, you know, three or four years, three or four years. We we got engaged in two thousand and four uh, when I left GE and joined Office Depot. So I moved to to Dallas Fort Worth, and we got engaged there. And so we got married in two thousand and five. How'd you pop the question? Give me the details. Uh, well, it was kind of like, well, the way I kind of laid it out was, you know. I'm in transition, you know, I'm in transition and you move to a new city, new job, and I want you to be there with me. So I got, uh, I, I popped a question actually at a, in, a in, in the hotel room with all the boxes and everything all around us. But I topped it off with a, a, a very nice steak dinner at Papa's Steakhouse in Dallas. So nice. probably the best uh, steakhouse I've been to in my lifetime. That I can think of. So, you know, I I aspire to do a best of series of old grad podcasts, like pulling clips of the best of. And marriage proposals is one of the themes that I thought about because I've got a couple marriage proposal stories. There's Mark Beeger and you know a- asking Amy Beeger to marry him, and she like in in a rainstorm and she'll like barely let the window down of the like of the car. And Moose George like popping the question like like in 30 seconds before Monica's friend came up for dinner or something. And um, there's a few other ones that are out there. Kenny, Kenny uh, Evans and, and Kim Evans. And um, there's some other ones. So, um, and, you know, I, here's a funny story. So I, I asked my wife to marry me on this 
mountaintop in Vermont. And so it's mm -hmm. called Sun Sunset Rock. And so back then the plan was go there as the sun was setting and we would, you know, I would get on one knee and ask you to marry me. And it was July 4th. I had this whole thing set. 4th of July. Her family knew I was going to do it. So I had to do it. And of course, it's like a freaking hailstorm on this sunset rock. There's no sun to be seen. It's, it's raining sideways. We almost got blown off the mountain and I did it. And she was like, you know, you're crazy. So we actually were back in Vermont this past week. And we went back after 25 years to the same place where with my kids. Right. And so again, so the sun, it was sun was setting, it was kind of hazy. We're like, let's get going. And it, because it, it gets dark very quickly in this place, right? It gets dark, like, mm -hmm. you know, and you, and you got to walk back a, like a mile and a half on this, um, on this hike back. It's a little treacherous. And my daughter's like, Dad, I want to stay a little bit longer. I want to, I want to meditate. I want to feel this, ex, you know, experience of this place, you know? And so we're like, let's go, Grace. It's time for us to go, right? And so we end up, so she won't leave. And we end up like getting into a family fight. <laughs> A family fight right there on the mountain where it all started. It's like this is perfect. Like we're like we're all yelling at each other. Let's go, goddamn it! Like it's gonna get dark. We're not gonna be. Like, we're gonna get lost. Like it was. It was a classic Schleck um, moment. You know, moment in time. So anyway, <laughs> popping. So the marriage questions are always an interesting, interesting topic. Yes. So you know. Well, my wife, yeah, Donna's my wife, Donna, she's from uh, Flint, Michigan, uh, Flint, Michigan area. And she went to, she's a Michigan State Spartan. So we've had some like, uh, you know, Duke versus uh, Michigan State, uh, you know, sparring contests at our household. Nice, nice. And you said your other sister-in-law, she went to West Point. And then what about, what other... What other institutions of learning do you have in the in the Rogers family? Uh, well, uh, my parents uh, both went to the university. My, so my mom went to Howard University, um, and then she 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 earned her master's degree and PhD at the University of Illinois. My dad went to Fayetteville State, which is right outside of you know Fort Bragg, and then he earned his master's degree and PhD at the University of Illinois. Um, Daryl and Elliot, of course, they went to West Point. Um, uh, Daryl has an MBA from Virginia, and Elliot has an MBA from Harvard. And my sister, uh, she went to Illinois Wesleyan, which is a small private school in um, in uh, Bloomington, Illinois. So, so your parents yep, only had to so, pay for one one college education. The other the other three were uh, were courtesy of uh, Uncle Sam, right? Oh yeah, they, they, yeah, they kind of got over on the system there, huh? That, yeah. Uh, they, you know, they did fund, you know, plane tickets home and all those types of things too. So, um, but, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So they certainly got, got were fortunate and they didn't have to have to concern themselves with that. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm curious, you know, well, first of all, how did you get the nickname Buck? I mean, is obviously, uh, uh, like connected to Buck Rogers, like the space, like the movie, right? Is, is that how you get the nickname Buck? Yes, I think that name was nickname was provided to me by Rich Gordon. Rich Gordon. <laughs> yes, when I we were on we were we were on brigade staff. Uh, Rich was the brigade S three, and I was the vice chairman for investigations for the cadet honor committee. So that's how I met Rich our first year. 
So I, you know, I met, you know, Bern Christensen and some of the other folks, a lot of other folks on Brigade that I had not crossed paths with as a, you know, earlier in, the, in our connect careers. So, so, so Bern Christensen, we should give a shout out to because his son is right now competing in the Tokyo Olympics uh, for the country yeah. of Panama. His wife is, uh, he met his wife, Annie in Panama. And, and as such, uh, you know, Tyler, their son who swims for Notre Dame is eligible to, uh, compete for either country and he's competing for panama in in the olympics as a swimmer yeah yeah that's that's uh that's pretty that's pretty exciting i i don't i don't think i swam against i, I didn't swim on any teams with someone who actually made the olympics um but i you know i there are people that i swam against that or swam with that actually made it to the olympic trials so but but don't know anybody that actually made it to the um uh, actually, actually, there is someone. Someone who went to my high school actually made. He, he did. I think he won a gold medal in a, in a relay a few years. Really? Ago. Wow. So, yes. 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 It's actually his. Was his parent? His family actually lived a couple doors down from us. Um, part of his family did. In our, it lived in our neighborhood. Yep. So, so jumping back to the a professional journey that you've had, you you said you you left the mil, you left the army, you went to Cal, you went to Duke. Then you went and you worked in a number of these corporate roles. You worked in some pretty name brand, you know, uh, Tiffany companies. And I'm curious because I think that this connects to one of the themes that we keep bumping into in the Ograd podcast is about transition. Because you've moved from corporate culture to corporate culture uh, and you've had very successful um, kind of increasing levels of responsibility in each one of these roles, culminating with where you're going to be going to now as director of finance for, for Nike. What 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 advice or what what can you what thoughts do you have about transition and about moving from one culture to another or one company to another? What have you seen? Well, I think you know for me, you know what, what I like to do is. You know, there's a really good book out there. It's called The First 90 Days by Michael Watkins. And it's a really good book to leverage for, um, you know, corporate transitions as you change companies and cultures and, and roles. Because um, you have to kind of reevaluate every situation that you're, every situation that you're in. Um, you know, The First 90 Days is about educating yourself and, educating yourself about, about the culture and the ways of working, the strategy, the business model, you know, the financial performance of the business. It's also about, um, you know, engaging with your key stakeholders to understand, you know, what their expectations are and how they want to work well together. And then you start, then you can get into starting, starting to engage the organization to, to start adding value. Um, we're, you know, we're all born with two ears and one mouth. So, it's important to kind of understand the history of the organization and where they're going so that you can, you know, best fit in before standing out. <laughs> That's a great, great uh, point. You got to fit in before you stand out. What was yep. the first, yep. can you remember the first, the first transition, like leaving the army and going, obviously you went to business school, but then your first corporate job, how did that feel? Was that like going like from the army scenario to corporate scenario? Was there something unique about that transition that maybe is you could tease out as different than the other transitions that you've had? Yes, I, you know that for me, um, I, you know obviously that you know, my first corporate role, 
you know, I, I think at that point in my career, I was still trying to figure out what I really wanted to do and what I was really good at and what, you know, what I, what I actually enjoyed doing. And I didn't actually figure that out until my second role at uh, LGD Energy in, in Louisville, Kentucky. I, was, I entered into a general management rotational program. So I started off in, in product, product management, um, did that for, uh, what, a, a year and a half or so. Then Tristan had a role in the corporate finance, uh, corporate planning organization, where I kind of find, found my functional home. So, you know, but, you know, it was, wasn't too too long into the role that I realized I need to go work at a larger company and get out of that regulated monopoly situation that utility industries uh, provide. So I had a great opportunity to join uh, GE Healthcare and their corporate planning department as a balance sheet analyst. So, uh, you know, I jumped at the chance. So it was a, it was, that was a great, you know, for me, that was a great, uh, great move. To leave was, uh, to go who was who was CEO of GE when you were there? Was it uh, Jack Welch or Emelt? So Jack Jack Welch was the CEO, but Jeff Emelt was the was the president of GE Healthcare at the time. So you got both. So yeah, yeah. So I was there under Jack Welch. I actually, actually, I, I, I was at a GE um, GE meeting in DC, and. Uh, both uh, Malcolm Perry and myself had an opportunity to ask Jack Walsh a question. <laughs> so yeah, ask and, him and for we, ask him to go get a beer, like uh, John Keenan. No, no, we didn't. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. But there was a there. It was funny because in one meeting, there's some gentleman asked Jack Walsh a question about about the Hudson River, the PCBs in the Hudson River, and uh, let's put it. Uh, let's put it this way: this guy got he had some heat under his feet after that question. <laughs> that was uh, kind of that was kind of that was kind of interesting to see someone kind of get lit up by the uh, fortune fortune's general manager of the century. <laughs> I could picture I could picture it like you know some people think that there's no such thing as a stupid question, but you've proven that wrong. That is a stupid question. Yeah, well, yeah, he, it, the way it was the way he asked the question that that he, was why he caught some heat so well so, yeah I mean, and when i was at ge healthcare uh, our classmate marty Cazillo, he was there too i think he was an e1 yep he, e1. he worked at ge healthcare for a while he was one of the very very few star men of e1 e1 was not well known for their academic prowess but he actually set the standard for, for e1 i think him and brian they, well, they had they had they had Brian Congelco too. Yeah. He's pretty. He's a pretty sharp guy. And they have plenty of smart people. They always just joke about it, but, they, but I'm sure they have plenty of smart people. And by the way, another smart person, Joe Ryan, E1, just took over division commander as 25th ID this past week. So congrats to Joe Ryan. Um, yes, I, I saw that. I saw a picture of General. I saw him, and I saw him with a with General Bramlett too. So that was good. Good to see. Yeah, what's cool is if you go to the, the it's called DVIDS uh, Defense Videos, you can actually see the change of command. And he does give a shout out to General Bramlett, who was in the audience, which is pretty cool. And he mentioned that he was our commandant. So General Bramlett, who I will soon get on this podcast, he's going to be one of our guests. He's maybe one of the very few non-91ers that we get on this thing, but he's agreed to do it. So I'm looking forward to getting yes. on well, I met, actually met uh, one of General Bramlett's roommates here. Um, is a is a is a member of the of the West Point Society of the Palm Beaches. So, this guy happened to be General Bramlett's roommate. 
No kidding. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty small world, huh? <laughs> yeah, very small world. So, uh, Buck, or I'm gonna call you Buck if you don't mind. I to call you Buck when I, when, when, whenever I see you. Um, I'm fascinated by your by your journey through corporate cultures and moving from place to place. I would love to understand further the extent to which um, your being a person of color provides a unique experience from each of those cultures. Have you have you seen have you seen your have there been different cultures and different ways that they embrace diversity, equity, inclusion? And what's your perspective on that? Well, um, I'll, 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 you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll start it off by saying, you know, it, you know, growing up in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, um, you know, the neighborhood that I grew in, we were the only black family uh, in, in our, in our neighborhood. That actually, there was on the next block, there was actually another family. Uh, the, the head basketball coach of our rival high school actually lived there. But so the, for, for the most part, you know, I grew up in a fairly integrated <laughs> integrated environment um but you know the, that was not without challenges i mean there were certainly um you know the, the house that i grew up in you know for most of my formative years you know when my parents bought the house the the realtor that sold it to us got got pissed off because you know the the, the real estate agent sold it to a black family so um, and then, you know, my parents were real estate investors in Champaign and Urbana, so we, we owned quite a few properties um, in the in the area. And one time we went, one time we went to um, look at a property, and I stayed in the car. My parents went in to go look at, look it over, and someone put a sign in the window that said uh, "No Novembers" in the in, in the window. So my parents turned around and and came back to the car. So. But you know, you know, I think participating in competitive swimming when there's not necessarily a lot of people that look like your, look like myself, you know, provided me with an opportunity to interact and and meet you know meet all kinds of people. I think be a little bit more comfortable in those types of situations. But I will say that um, it's just sometimes it's very odd, you know, you know, in two in the two in, in the year you. Know, that post uh, in year 2021 when there's very few people around that look like yourself. So when I worked in at uh, Walmart in merchandising finance for Walmart US, you know, the, the team was about 60, 65 people or so, and I was the only black person on the team. So the world's, the world's largest company supporting the world's largest, you know, business unit. Um, in, you know, I was the only, only, only black person on the merchandising finance team, which is, Basically, the heart of the business. So, um, but you know, you, Walmart in a lot of ways is a very, you know, I think it's a very southern culture. Um, but I think you know they've done a lot. They've, they've made some strides since I left the company in terms of focusing on diversity and inclusion. But certainly, there aren't a lot of, you know, you don't see a lot of people that look like you at, at the senior levels of the organization. So do you think that the is the army ahead or behind of corporate America? Well, that's a that's a tough question. I mean, um, I think yeah. Let's. Uh, I think if you look at the. If you, I mean, 
I mean, I've, you know, there's been articles in the in the in the in, in the news about you know the, the lack of like you know not being a lot of you know African American uh, general officers in the in the in the armed services. Um, I think you could say the same thing exists in in corporate America. I mean, there's less than five black CEOs in corporate America. One of them's actually getting ready to retire. So, you know, there's just really not that many faces that look like myself out there. I mean, I, you know, I mean, the one the one thing about corporate America is you can correct for it faster. You know, in the army, you can't just basically hire in a general officer from GE and say, you're now in charge of this, you know, major role. You have to grow them. You have to like, it starts when they're 18, 19 years old, like sort of to, you know, like that, that's like a, it's a multi-decade commitment as opposed to, you can software a lot faster in corporate America. That's true. Well, that's true. Um, you know, the army certainly definitely has a way or military definitely has a kind of a path for people to, you know, move into different assignments to kind of grow within the, within the, um, you know, within the, within the service. Um, you know, the challenge gets is, you know, people may decide to get out. They may decide to get, leave the army at 20 years and retire and, and go on and do something else. So, but, you know, corporate America is, is a little bit more, I think a, a little bit more nuanced because you have to, you have to, there's the cultural, the cultural issues that you have to kind of navigate. And it's about also about getting exposure, you know, mentorship and sponsorship within the organization too. And that's where, you know, the softer things kind of come into play. I have these, I have these conversations with my young colleagues all the time uh, in the nonprofit world and nonprofit, it seems to be a constant communication um, constantly constant subject matter um, of discussion is about diversity and inclusion and how do we basically, you know, create pathways and opportunities for people of color. What does it mean that, you know, how do we do this? And I've all, I have discussed at the time I've said, you know, I think my experience in, in the army was, it was very much a meritocracy. Like, like, in fact, they've, they've recently just, eliminated the use of DA photos in um to to review like for um for for promotion boards there's, there's, you're no you're no longer you're now blinded to what that person looks like in it's just their credentials and one of my one of my um young colleagues who's a person of color said yeah it's easier for you to say as a white a white guy who had that experience you know I'd love to hear what some of your um some of your 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 buddies and and uh, you know um, would say about the experience if if it was the same if you feel like it was the same kind of meritocracy you know um, by the way we we should mention we sh recently we should give a shout out to our classmate Amuso George my roommate who just retired from the army like last week uh, Brigadier General Amuso George so congratulations Moose that's uh, that's awesome and I was happy to be there with the F one crew. And it was a lot of fun. We celebrated he and Monica and his family. Um, their tremendous 30 plus years of service to the army. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. It's great. So, I, you know, I actually wish I could be a lot, at a lot more of those retirement ceremonies. I just haven't had a chance to, to make it to one yet. So yeah. it's always good to be there on day one on, on, and on the last day with, with people as they, as they leave the army.
It was cool. I thought about that with Moose. I was literally there on the first day and on the last day. It was it was quite a, it was quite a feeling. And of course, we had a lot of days together too as roommates and whatnot. But mm-hmm. um, and so, congrats to him. Um, oh, by the way, I should also mention too. There's an awesome book that I've been reading called Forgotten, and it's a story of African Americans uh, in the in the military. It was suggested to me by our classmate um, uh, Keith Brown. And, and and so it it is it is fascinating that as recently as like 60 years ago, there were memos being written at the Army War College about the differences in the way that soldiers should be treated based upon the color of their skin. And it was not long ago. It was it was post-World War II that that that, that there was this happening. Um, and there's even a story in the book in, in World War II, there was actually an armed conflict between U.S. soldiers uh, in France, because what was happening was that the French, that we had liberated uh, a, a village in, uh, or an area of France. Actually, I might be getting this wrong. It may not be France. It may be, it may be someplace else. But regardless, there was a, they did not want the black um, soldiers to be able to drink in this, in this drinking establishment with the white soldiers. And they there ended up being armed conflict between U.S. soldiers at that time. Crazy. Well, yeah, certainly, you know, we haven't all, you know, the U.S. has not always lived up to its ideals over the course of history. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, you know, I, we kind of talked about this in, in the pre-call, Jamie, but, you know, you know, my wife, one time my wife and I were out having, uh, I think it was, maybe it had been for our anniversary or our birthday. We were at a steakhouse in uh, in Palm Beach, and we completed. We finished our meal, and uh, we had to we had to valet our car. So we went out to the valet station to wait for our car. And uh, this other couple, uh, there's a couple, an older couple came out, and the the husband came and out, approached me, and asked me if I was the valet. Of course, I wasn't dressed like the valet, but uh, you know, my wife. Uh, my wife noticed the expression on his his wife's uh, face and realized what he had actually done. He assumed that because I was black, I was the valet. So, so those types of transgressions are not transgressions. You know, are still out there. Um, you know, my brother had some run-ins at the University of Virginia. Had some issues there. He's experienced some things on Wall Street as well. So, you know, it's you know. It's still happening, you know. There's still that. There's still racism out there, or there's people that do some bad things. Um, but there's also there, there's people out there that are, are are supportive. And it's interesting. Our classmate Tony Detoto, when my brother Daryl was interviewing for, um, he's trying to get into private wealth management. He had worked on Wall Street, and and Totes actually helped them prepare for his interviews. So Daryl, you know, was able to get his foot in the door that way. So you know, that's, that's the kind of like sponsorship and mentorship that, you know, people need to be able to be successful. And that's the kind of guy totes was, by the way, the comment feed is lighting up. People want to know more about your experience at West Point. And, and this, this is a, this is a, a topic that has a lot of interest. So we're going to go further into it. But before we go back to your experience at West Point, I'd love to talk a little bit about this organization called do more together DMT. Uh, so do more together is an, it's basically a, a cohort of academy graduates from West Point who are 
uh, people of color, right? And uh, were you on the event? There was an event this evening at 5 p.m. that they had some a town hall speakers at that. I tried to I tried to log into it, but I couldn't do it because I was driving. Um, but tell me about that. I, I, you know, I, I'll admit I haven't I haven't been involved as much as I should should be with that organization. But they did have like a four or five day event last year that I participated in, kind of a kind of a kickoff. But it's really about, um, I would say, uh, you know, I'd say mentorship of, you know, cadets at the academy as well as graduates as they leave the academy and maybe transition into the civilian world or, you know, as they embark, you know, embark on a full, uh, full army career. So the idea is it's kind of a self-help group, uh, you know, established to help people help enable people to be successful over the course of their career over the course of their lifetimes so um obviously it's kind of being run by some younger graduates graduates that are younger than us but from what i can see it's a very good uh very good organization and uh, i think it's great that that we actually have something like this going for us yeah so actually one of the founders used to work for me her name is mary tobin she's class of 2002 just a, a fascinating amazing 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 person and a, and a great credit to the long gray line. And so she was one of the founders. And so I have, uh, I've been a contributor financially to the cause. It's a, it's a great idea. It's a great, uh, great intentions. Uh, it has a couple different tenants. You should you know, check it out. Do more together.org. It's, it's, it's really, um, I think a, a tremendous, uh, resource for, for Academy graduates. Um, and, um, and so what I've, what I've, and I've talked to, I've talked to them about their membership. And what's interesting is they have a bunch of 2000s, 2000s onward membership, right? A lot like 2000, 2001 up to 2019. And they have a bunch of members actually in the eighties and seventies, but the demographic that they're missing is the nineties. There are not very many members is like 1990 to, to 2000. So that is a, organization that needs the support of 90s grads and i think that we're probably at a level of experience where we can have a huge impact with that organization i think we should be more involved with it uh yes well i know that and i know jeff simpson has been participating in it you know pretty pretty consistently so he's encouraging you know the other group the some of us some of our you know, his fellow classmates to get a little bit more involved. So um, that's certainly something that I'd like to do, you know, going forward. Yeah, well, I think, again, I think it's a tremendous, a tremendous resource and it, 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 it needs more support from 90s grads. So we should get more involved with yeah. that. I mean, you just, you know, but you also brought up a good point. Um, you know, you know, part of being successful in corporate America is, is I think is having great, men good, great mentors and eventually sponsors in the organization. So, you know, that's, I think that's one of the opportunities that, you know, African-Americans and as well as, you know, women have had, have, you know, have maybe lacked historically to help them, you know, navigate and, and grow within, within, uh, grow within the enterprise. So, you know, it's, that's, that, and, and I think this, this, this organization do more together is, is a solution to that. Um, cause there's, there's quite a, there's, there's a lot of graduates who've been successful in the army and in corporate America, who can who can facilitate, um, you know, who can basically 
basically help help people help people who are who are go, going through the same experience that they had when they were more junior graduates. So let's talk some more about your pre nineteen eighty seven experience, your selection to go to West Point, and let's talk about West Point stories. We're about at the halfway mark, so I want to make sure that we give sufficient time to, to these other topics. So you mentioned it was your next door neighbor and also a cousin, class of 88, that made you think about going to West Point. What was that like? I mean, growing up in, um, in, in, the, in the college town that you're in, what were you thinking about? Was West Point your first choice? How did you select it? Well, I had, you know, I had, you know, several other uh, opportunities. I, I was accepted in the Notre Dame, uh, Duke, uh, Dartmouth, uh, Cornell, uh, the University of Illinois, and Penn State. Um, actually, Dartmouth had recruited me for football, and I, I, I did actually do a, I did like a, you know, an accepted students weekend. I went out to, to Hanover, New Hampshire, for a weekend. And got kind of a dose of what it would be like to to, to go to school there. Um, but um, you know, I, as I was kind of thinking about things, I I wanted to do something a little bit different than what everybody else was doing. Um, most of the people I, you know, a lot of the a lot of the kids that I graduated high school with, you know, they went to the Big Ten schools. A lot of people went to Illinois, um, you know, Purdue. Um, Indiana, so, so on and so forth, or, or, you know, some of the other state schools in the state of Illinois, but I wanted to do something a little bit different, and I, and I, I saw West Point as a challenge, um, and I, you know, I was pretty passionate about leadership as well, so um, I, I just felt it was the right, you know, fit, fit for me, situation for me, so came back from the Dartmouth trip, and I had the little green postcard that you had to drop in the mail, indicating your acceptance, and so that's what I did, <laughs> dropped it in the mail. Um, after I got accepted, I, I think it was actually the G4, the current G4 tax. She came to my house to, to pay a visit before I had sent in my acceptance. So she just asked see if I had any questions. So they, you know, they have these outreach officers that'll go around, travel around to, to visit, you know, visit candidates. So I actually ended up, I, I didn't figure it out until we came back to the barracks uh, from Beast that she was actually, um, that was the same person that had come to my house. And you mentioned that your first day, like our day, both your parents were there. And what was that experience like saying goodbye to them? Well, that was, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a pretty emotional experience. Um, you know, I get uh, sometimes when I reminisce about that day, I, I, I certainly that was, that was one of the more, more poignant uh, events of the day. But, uh, you know, hearing that two or three minute spiel and then you have a minute to say goodbye to your family and then seeing both of your parents cry for the first time was uh, pretty, uh, pretty eye opening. Um, but I am the oldest and my dad's namesake. So I was the first you know bird to leave the nest. So. That was pretty painful. Um, the other thing that happened was Elliot, Elliot and my sister Allison were actually there. Daryl was at up swim trains, uh, doing some swim training up in Chicago. But Elliot actually went up to the top of the stairs and he looked out into the hallway. He opened the door and looked out the hallway just to see what was going on. I guess he came back to the parents, came back and told my parents and gave him a sit rep. Said they're already screaming at him. He's already locked up. It's all. It's over. <laughs> and meanwhile, that same kid six years later went to West Point himself, right? So yeah, he ended up, he ended up 
yeah, entering in the class of 97. So, um, but I, I remember the first command was like, when I say move, you move like lightning. And then we got on this bus and no one said Jack on the bus. So, um, yeah, that was a, you know, of course I've never, I've never visited West Point before our day. So I, like Kenny Mintz, I showed up cold turkey, but you know, my, my, my neighbor back in Champaign had, John had, he tried to warn me about our day and he tried to, you know, teach me all the, all the plebe knowledge that I needed to know before I started. Um, he also gave me, he also suggested that I get a haircut before I show up, which I actually did do that. So I didn't have to go to the haircut station, but, uh, he said, when he, he did, he warned me about, you know, just dropping my bag. If they say dropping my bag, uh, instead of following the command directly, it, it will, they may say, um, Place your Please. bag on the ground, and if you drop it, you're going to get chewed out. And certainly, I got I dropped it, and I didn't quite understand what he was talking about. But then I realized what he was saying, and I did. You know, I I blew it, so I got chewed out. Did <laughs> you do, do it over again? Did Did you do beast like uh, as a squad leader or something, or as a as a firsty like as a cadre member? I did beast as cadre as cadre first year because I had to do the 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 um. The honor staff, we had to do the honor training. So Dixon Dykeman, Tony Etnier, um, I think I think Lenny Brown was there. So was Sanjay, Sanjay Perandre was there, uh, Jim Buller, um, and Steve Grabsky. We did we did all the summer training for the for the new cadets in the class of '94. That's cool. I mean, I don't remember. I, mean, I did Beast too, so I didn't do the incoming thing. But did they like? Is that part of the the training? Is to say like tell them to place their bag and if they drop it, haze their ass or like, like, because I recall a guy said to me, pick up a pen, write your name on the piece of, write your name on the paper and put the pen back exactly as you saw it. So like I pick the pen up, I write it down, I throw the pen down, but it wasn't the way that it, like he had it, like he had all the pens lined up a certain way and I didn't put the pen down as out there. And then you like haze, he, like right in my face, like, you know, attention to detail, Schleck, like th that kind of lack of attention to detail will get soldiers killed someday. And I was like, holy shit. That was like literally like 30 seconds into my experience at West Point. I, but I don't know if that's like like off the script or if that's like part of what they teach you to do. I wonder if they do. I wonder if that's part of it, you know? I, I don't remember that piece. I, you know, I, I remember um, you had to go to one station and then you had to sign, you know, you fill out, fill out your, um, you know, fill out some forms. You had to turn in like all your money. You need cash that you had on to you. They deposited into your checking account, and then um, you you changed into you know from your civilian clothes into like Gem Alpha with the low quarters and the black socks. Um, it's funny because we actually um, I remember the it took me a year to figure out where we actually we did the you know the the civvy to um, military uniform change. But it wasn't until we took CQC yearling year close quarters combat that I realized that was a room that I changed my I changed from my citizen to the gym alpha in. Right. Because it's such a blur. I figured I was like I've been in this room before, and then I then it dawned on me. Oh my gosh, I haven't been in this room since our day. It was like See, where the wrestlers actually worked out. Yeah, I remember. I, that's when they issued the jock straps too. I remember that. That's where we got those in the in the uh, what they call those the stacks or something. And so. But we, we have yeah. a we have a uniform question here because I'm seeing here in the, in the chat feed, Lori Ryder is suggesting to me 
that she doesn't think you're wearing pants. You're probably wearing boxers or shorts. So is that like we can see your. Video. I am wearing shorts. I'm wearing shorts, <laughs> and you you can see I've got the Florida pastel colors on right now too. <laughs> I'm wearing shorts too, but I'm not 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 sitting in my boxers though. So. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. One time, one 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 time, I was uh, I had to do uh, you know the bed check, whatever, and um, and <laughs> one of our I w I wouldn't check the 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 room of one of our uh, two of our classmates, both male, and one of them, uh, he was uh, sleeping unclothed, so I got mooned when uh, when I opened up the door. <laughs> when I opened up the door. That classmate that will will remain nameless for that call for this call, but he knows who he is. Funny. So yeah. it's a good thing I I wasn't the OC at that point in time. <laughs> so who who so you mentioned you only got ten demerits your whole time at West Point? Is that like a fourth reg thing? There's like zero like like zero hazing, zero getting written up, or or were you just like a like did you not get caught, or were you like a super strike cadet? What's the story? Uh, I, 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 I guess I was one of those people who really didn't go out of his way to break the rules. Um, but we got my roommate and I, um, first semester plebeer, uh, Cliff Miller. Uh, he ended up leaving the academy after a year, a year to go to University of Kentucky. But um, we like ordered a pizza in the middle of the week or something like that. And we got caught. We got caught. Um, we we brought it back to the barracks. You know, we, we met the met the delivery guy right outside MacArthur Barracks near the uh, the gym, and we brought it back to our room. And somebody, some some upperclassman saw us, but he didn't, he didn't say anything, right? But then the next day, then the next day we were at tables, and like I guess we were screwing up the table duties, and somebody said, "Hey, well they don't have to worry about it because they they just order a pizza and they eat the middle of a week." So we got busted for we got hit with ten demerits for that. But what had happened was we had actually asked a yearling if we were allowed to do it, and he said yes because I guess the class of ninety when they were pleased they were able to do that, and so they changed the rules. So they actually gave us a board, but they let us off because we we actually asked permission first because they know we wouldn't have done it if we hadn't asked permission, you know, without without having permission. So. I don't remember that we weren't we weren't allowed to uh, get food during the week. I I've, I remember only having sixty eight dollars a month, so not being not having any money to get anything other than the weekend. But I didn't realize that we couldn't yeah. actually do it. Yeah, well, you know, as a core squad swimmer, believe year, I used to bring food back from the tables to my to our classmates who who were starving at the at the at the regular tables. So I certainly. I certainly, uh, I certainly had some sympathy for them during that experience. Yeah, that was clutch. Yeah, we had a couple of core squatters bringing us back food too, like Brent Bourne and and Billy O'Brien and a few other, just bringing bringing extra sandwiches and whatnot back. Yep, yep. So, yeah. So I guess our day, you know, so my roommates were Kirk Kirk Rompot and Saul Herrera. So. Kurt Rompot is actually from, he's actually from Springfield, Illinois, not too far from where I grew up, but um, he, he ended up leaving during uh, reorgy week. But of course, you know, Saul, Saul and I ended, both ended up graduating. So I, I, I got to win, I got to room with one of the, you know, several sets, of, multiple sets of twins in our class. Yeah. And so we, we actually had, we actually had 
uh, Dan Hodney in our company. Uh, so we had one, another another twin. Then we also had Mark Nikitas. So you had Mark, you had A1 Nikitas and I4 Nikitas. And so we had the I4 Mark Nikitas in our company, class of 89. So. Oh, they were twins they, also? Yeah, they were twins. Yeah. It, hmm. yeah. So, you know, they, they put the, the twins on opposite ends of the core cadet so they wouldn't interact with each other. But. A1 and I4. That's interesting. They did do that, didn't they? The yeah, one. and Sal, Sal was an A2. So, but, you know, Saul and Sal would always link up at those little, uh, at the, uh, at the cadet chapel little cookies and cream ice cream socials that they would have during beast barracks that's what they those two would connect yeah so so they they put them in a they did do that so it was a and i oh wait so wait because dave hodney was an a1 right so you're saying dan hodney was i4 i4 yes and then herrera was also an i4 and then that was an a2 so a and a and oh, so there you go again another interesting thing behind the scenes of how they create this the the chemistry of setting up the uh, companies is fascinating. Yeah, so you had, you had one you know you had a Lyndon Meyer and a Wazowski in H four right and then I can't remember the other one was one one Lyndon Meyer I think was in B two right I don't know let's find what, out the Wazowskis and uh, and then the Hearts too but 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 actually those, yeah. those are two different classes though right so, and right. Peter, I, 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 yeah, I had classes with Chris, um, Chris Hart. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Chris Hart, by the way, who is now, he's at the Army War College as a civilian. He is mm -hmm. in charge of, he runs the whatever course that major generals go through when they, right before they take over division command. So all of our, our five classmates that are now commanding divisions or about to command divisions have all gone through his little class, which is pretty cool that he got to be the one training them to go through division command. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I talked to him <laughs> about that at Kenny Mintz's retirement. That was a little fascinating, fun fact. So, yeah. So, yeah. so what did you major in at school? What was your, what was your uh, major? I, I majored in uh, political science, American, American, uh, you know, American political science. And then I had a minor in systems engineering, so I took the systems engineering track as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I so I spent a lot of time in the social department and, and writing papers, for that matter. At any point in this social department world, because social they're always considered to be kind of like a little left leaning, but also like progressive and everything else. D does it ever come up the fact that we've got barracks named after Civil War generals on the? Uh, on the uh, Confederate Confederate generals, does that even come up as a topic at that at that at that point? No, it never it never it didn't it didn't come up as a topic of discussion, you know. And I don't remember it coming up in, in history class either, you know. Um, you know, I just thought I just thought it was kind of like all part of the history of the academy. And and it, 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 as you may recall, in the, if you in the old cadet library, as you when you walk in the front door. There's a little room, little like study room or library room, right, right, right there in the foyer, and they had a picture of you know Robert E. Lee on one end of the table, and then, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm Grant, losing his name, US, US Grant, Grant, yeah, General Grant on the other side of the table. So I just thought, okay, this is just all part of West Point, West Point in American history. Here you got two graduates that faced off against each other in the Civil War. So, 
that's how I kind of thought about it. But as I'm, you know, as I'm, I'm learning, you know, now that we have more time on our, a little bit more time on our hands to actually digest some of the stuff, you know, you're learning that, you know, a lot of these monuments emerged uh, at kind of critical points during the civil rights uh, movement. And so these are responses to, you know, advancements in the, in the rights of black people. So, um, they're there for a reason. In fact, I believe it was in the early 70s, there was a group of cadets that stopped the establishment of another monument at West Point. Oh, really? And, uh, so, oh, yes, yes. But I can't, I can't recall the graduate's name, but there were a couple of grads that, you know, as cadets, they were, they basically wrote a, they, they mostly basically challenged the pre- President Nixon on that. So they stopped it from happening. Who were who they going to, um, what, what general were they going to, what were they going to do? I don't, I don't recall. They were going to basically gonna establish a, um, a Confederate monument on West Point or something to some Confederate officers. Really? And the cadets, it, yeah, they, they stopped it. Wow. So. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a fascinating debate, and we're going to continue to debate it further, uh, you know, was, you know, renaming of posts and base and, and and barracks and all those kind of things and um you said that you read this book by the former chairman of uh, the former head of the history department right ty soidel or whatever his name is Sigel, yes it's pretty i'm still reading through it it's actually pretty good and and terry rice actually recommended that i read it it's it's pretty fascinating because it talks about his own personal journey with the south and the confederacy and you know, he's, he's really re-examining his, his, his notions about what all these statues and symbols mean, you know. So you really start to learn the history of, of why all these monuments exist in the United States and at West Point and why, you know, there's a very strong case for the basis to be renamed and for all these monuments to be removed and, and everything. So um, certainly, you know, certainly certainly a cause for debate when you look back to your experience at west point and army can are there moments that point at that kind of jump out at you as where you were either treated differently because of the color of your skin or an experience that you felt like you were not treated well or you weren't treated the right way as like like us like you know your 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 experience with you know, being asked if you were, um, you know, uh, uh, a valet parking cars, that's, you know, that, that's, that's, uh, that is an, a moment in time, but what about in the army or, or at West Point? Like, were there experiences that you that have like that? Well, um, I can say like, I, you know, I've, I've, I've had a couple situations where on, on active duty where, um, people thought they assumed that I was enlisted man, that I was enlisted and not an officer. I can, I, I remember a couple situations when that happened. Um, you know, I mean, we talked about on the pre-call a little bit too. Like, there's this, there's this, there's this. He's a Naval Academy graduate, so we give him, you know, got to, got to, got to. I mean, um, he, he, he's okay, even though he's a Naval Academy graduate. This kid, um, Mike Stedman, his name is. He's class of. I don't know, his class of 2000 or 2000, no, maybe, maybe 2008, I think it's 2008. Uh, uh, yeah, it's 2008 Naval Academy. And he runs a nonprofit in Newark where he's, um, 
he's running a boxing gym and it's like a youth enrichment, like opportunity youth program. He's just, he's a tremendous, tremendous guy. And he's so, so committed to, to helping youth in Newark. And he's just got this, he's got so much going on. He got his MBA, but he tells the story. And I share this with Moose George too. He was a Marine infantry officer. So already an area that's underrepresented Marine Corps already, already underrepresented in terms of, in terms of um, MOS infantry. And he was working as the op four and he's briefing what his role was as the op four around the sand table in this exercise. And he's basically describing what the strategy was of the op four. And he said, you know, we're basically, instead of saying movement to contact or raid, he said, we're going to do like a hit and run in this one area. And then the senior OC stops him and says, you know, Stedman, you're not black. You're, 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 you're not back on the block. You know, we're not going to be doing drive-by shootings, you know, use the right terminology. And he tells the experience like at that point, and that was a white officer basically saying that basically, you know, using that e expression. And he was like, at that point, that was the moment that he decided I'm getting the fuck out of the Marine Corps. Like this is not a place for me. And, um, and that guy was probably just a captain and, and, you know, Stedman was lieutenant, you know, Moose, Moose heard this story and said, you know what, the problem is that, you know, that captain needed to be counseled. Like that, the captain is a baby also. He's like, you know, like a probably 28, 29 year old person. He's completely screwed up. Um, but you know, those kind of like microaggressions that might've been like a macroaggression actually, but those kind of things happen, I think. At, you know, to our, um, to our, to our service members. And like, right there, like that guy wrote off his experience right there. Well, you know, that, that, well, that's, that can't just be isolated to the service, you know, to service members. I mean, you just, just step back, just kind of unpack that. It's actually kind of asinine. First of all, the gentleman, the, 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 the senior officer assumed that this junior officer was from the hood. And he also assumed that he actually participated in that kind of bullshit, which is completely untrue. Um, you know, you know, me, me and my siblings, you know, heard about, heard you know, things like you only got it because of affirmative action, you know, all the, all the other types of like, you know, uh, you know, I say denigrating things that people might say to you. But the fact of the matter is, you know, you know, the record of accomplishment speaks for itself. It's not necessarily, it's not an accident, you know? So those are the type, you know, those are the types of like, that's the type of like friction or just like, you know, BS that people have to put up with that they shouldn't have to be. It's just an, an extra load that you have to carry that, that you may encounter, where you may encounter people that don't think you should be there. I mean, another example that happened to me, you know, I was, we were traveling in Clearwater, Florida. We were staying in a hotel, and my wife and I had happened to have quite a few uh, hotel points, so we were allowed. We were able to stay in the concierge area, and I was on the elevator, and there was a gentleman on the elevator who obviously didn't think that I actually belonged there because I was black. I mean, so it was. I could tell by what he said to me, as well as his body language, that he was surprised to see me there. You know, but. You, you know, those are the types of things that you gotta, you have to like, you have to be, you're gonna get exposed to um, sometimes. But 
for the most part, you know, a lot of people are actually, you know, I think are genuine, but you have to, you have to evaluate everybody on their own merits. You can't just make assumptions about people, you know, you know, the person that, the person that opened the doors for me and my brothers to go to West Point was, you know, a, 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 a Caucasian male, you know, and his class only had three black people in it. So, you know, he saw, he saw somebody that was, that was talented and had potential. And he, he opened, he, he, he suggested the academy to me and my, my two siblings followed. You know, it's funny. You made me think about something. Mary Tobin, who is one of the founders of Do More Together, mentioned to me as well. Um, you know, one of the people that drew her to West Point, she grew up in Atlanta and, you know, um, was a was a white Caucasian male who basically said, you know, you need to consider going to West Point and, and kind of drew her into West Point. And she was she ended up being their brigade respect officer, which is a newly formed you know, like brigade level staff person, but um, she's got some, she's got some good stories about this kind of stuff as well. Um, but what she would say, I, I heard her speak many times um, to, you know, mostly, mostly black uh, audiences. And she cautioned people because there's so much distrust, you know, between uh, especially, you know, in certain, in certain areas that we were, we were working. She said, not everybody who's going to help you is going to look like you. You need to be able to expect, you need to be able to accept that there are people that are well-meaning that do not look like you, that will help you. And I think that was, it was interesting to hear that perspective um, from, from somebody who's a person of color and giving advice to other people who are people of color. Right. You know, my, I'll tell you, my dad was, um, you know, my dad taught at the University of Illinois. His specialty was in, in the Department of Education. Um, he specialized in curriculum and development. And I, I remember actually going to a dinner in Chicago. And my dad didn't know much about West Point, but he learned more about it from, you know, his kids going there. And then from our neighbor, kind of filled them in on what it was all about. But my dad told a group of educators in, in Chicago, he said, he told them that, the service academies provide are, are probably it's probably the best scholarship opportunity in the United States, and it's free. And he basically told them there's just there's not enough you know black kids that are actually interested in the academy. And you as educators have an opportunity to provide that level of support and and knowledge and insight to get these kids interested in opportunities like this. So I got to say hats off to your parents, too, because here you were, you had these other opportunities at very well-known name brand schools like, you know, Dartmouth and um, you mentioned Cornell. And, these other, I mean, and these are academics. Your parents are academics. And they said, no, we're going to we're going to we, we want our kid to go to West Point and we're going to we're going to be behind. And then all three of their boys go to West Point. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty amazing, you know, and, and I think, was there any pressure like to try to go to like Howard or like more Moorhead state or one of these other kind of, um, uh, historically black colleges or, or not really, no. no, not really. I think, you know, you know, obviously my parents were in, in the HBCUs in the early, early sixties, you know, um, late fifties, early sixties. So it's, it's kind of a different time, you know, that was, that was for many people the only route to college. So 
my dad was the first person to grab in his family to graduate from college and I'm the second. So, um, and, and Daryl's the, Daryl's the third and Elliot's the fourth and Allison's the fifth. So, um, you, you know, um, my parents, you know, had a, had a good experience in, in the HBCUs that they attended, but, you know, I think maybe that wasn't necessarily the best route for me and my siblings. Um, but, but I, I certainly, I certainly, um, you know, I was fortunate to have several different options to choose from. That's awesome. Um, so your experience, you were commissioned field artillery. Is that what you were? FA? Big guns? Yes. I was, I was stationed, uh, yes, I was commissioned field artillery. I was in the July, July class of FAOBC. So we had a ton of classmates uh, there at, at Fort Sill. So we did a lot of training and we had a lot of fun. So um, at, at, in the evenings after, after classes were over. Um, well, you, so, you, as I, 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 I recall seeing some pictures. You guys had a big party where you dressed up as each other's mothers. Were you, were you at that party? Uh, I was there. I was not dressed up. That was, that was uh, <laughs> Rich Campbell and a few other people <laughs> that, that did that, that, we had, yeah, we had a, we had a great time out there. Uh, at a Fort was that Hill. like a Halloween party or something? Yeah, it was a Halloween party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we're reverend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I Rich Campbell. Of that party around. Rich Campbell was your roommate at Fort Bragg, right? He was my roommate yes, at West Point. One of my roommates. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Rich and I became roommates at Bragg. So in our battalion, we had um, Trent Price. Uh, Pat Burton and you know, of course, Rich, Rich and myself were in were in three eight artillery, and then uh, Tim Lewicki was in five eight artillery, but he was at Fort Campbell. And of course, we had I, I want to say there were thirty or so other classmates, you know, and other other units, you know, Randy Klingerman, Jeff Helms, Jeff Leck, uh, Brian T. Brock, um, you know, quite a few others around. So. So Sean Kaplis. So we used to have we used to have we used to get together once in a while for parties and stuff. But we had so many lieutenants that were kind of like in the same, you know, all getting promoted at the same time. So we had some great, you know, first lieutenant and captain uh, uh, parties. Promotion well. ceremonies, so yeah. Promotion ceremonies, yep, yep. But we, you know, we spent a lot of time in the time in the field as well. So we never we never actually did an NTC rotation, but. We had a lot of, uh, we were pretty active uh, out there. Was Jim Montgomery there then at the same time too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Monty was there too. That's right. Jim Montgomery was there too. That's right. Jimbo. Another F1-er. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So. You you said you had a list of all of our classmates at Fort Bragg. Somehow you have that list. Yeah, right? I, I got a list here somewhere of like, it's like it's it's kind of faded now, but I I, guess, I think Pat Burton sent it out right before graduation. It had the list of you know the thirty five or so classmates headed to Bragg. So I think I think Pat may have room with Lou Fortunato. I think Lou Fortunato was there too. Somebody was somebody. I think that's what may have been his roommate. That would have been a cool thing to have, just to sort of like, damn, hey, Fort Bragg. Let me see all the people that are there, like. I know that when I was in Korea, I would just run across somebody. I'd be like, hey, hey, what's going on? I didn't realize you were here in country. Like, that would have been cool to see who's there. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, 
but you know, you don't have the we don't have the same like connectivity in terms of like email and cell phones like we so did back. In, yeah, into, we just happen to run into each other, um, you know, periodically. Oh, Kathy Sutter, she was there too. Kathy Sutter yeah. and her husband, they were there. Greg Gasson was stationed there too. I, I I think I ran into him as well at the time. We probably had at least as many, probably more, who were in Korea at the same time too. We had so many classmates go to Korea because the way that the, I think the way that PERSCOM had to like, because there were people that got extended because of Desert Storm. And so if you're in Korea, which is typically a 12 month assignment, you were extended by 18 months. So there was like this mass exodus of people out of Korea following the 90, 91 timeframe. That's why there were so many slots we had in Korea. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I know that Randy and some other folks, they had to go to, they got deployed to the Sinai while we were stationed there. So, um, but we, you know, we had a, we, we, we had a good group of people there. We just, a lot of us were in the field. We were all out in the field quite a bit, but we, we did find time to enjoy ourselves when we got back. Wouldn't you love to go back just for like a couple of days? Like just sort of like snap your fingers and be back in the day and like, just what would you? Yeah, I, I guess it wouldn't be so bad to pull a lanyard on a howitzer, M one nine or eight howitzer, one more time. But I think that weapon system is now pretty much gone. Yeah, yeah, those were good times. Those were good times. Well, Alex, I, I told the time was going to fly by so fast. I don't even know if we got to everything we talked about in the pre-call. But one of the things I wanted to definitely get time to air out was to talk about your experience with so many of our fallen classmates, because you have a special connection to one, at least one who's your company mate, but a bunch of others too. And you told me something I didn't know, which was that if you give a gift to West Point in memory of one of our classmates with a note, that note makes its way to a family member of that classmate, right? So tell me your experience with that, because you've been a frequent donor to West Point and you have a unique way to give to West Point when you do, right? Well, uh, yes. Well, um, when I when I write a when I write a check to West Point and send money, I typically will choose. Um, I typically will choose it uh, select in memory of a, a classmate that's been uh, that's that's passed away and gone on. So, um, I've written several donations in uh, Dave Reardon's. Um, memory because I was on the swim team with him as a plebe. So I, I got to know him then and he was a really good guy. He was always cracking really good. He, he had a very dry sense of humor that when you're going through the doldrums of plebe year, he was the one guy who could all, count on to have that sense of humor to bring it all, bring us all back to the back, back from the brink. Um, and it's just sad that, you know, cancer took him so young, but um, you know, I looked through the list of the, all the classmates that have gone on. A lot of these folks I had class with, or I crossed paths, cross cross paths with at some time. You know, Toast Toast was in my in my Butler platoon. That's where I met him um, that summer. And then, of course, Eric D. Young was in my was my B squad mate as well. So I knew him from day one. Just a really, uh, really a really great guy. Another person with a really sarcastic sense of humor, but. He, the reality was he was a very, very solid cadet. And he had an uncle that went to West Point and it was his dream to go there. So um, it's, uh, you know, losing him was a, was a pretty big blow to our company, um, you know, the, you know, in 2016. 
Uh, Steve Lammers, he sat next to me in, in um, physics class first semester. And he, uh, I had to miss a WPR once uh, during the class, and I couldn't make it up because I had CQ and I couldn't get somebody to cover me. Well, Steve was generous enough to lend me his uh, w, one of his WPRs that he had done quite well with. And I was able to use that as a study aid for the term end. And uh, which I really needed to do well in that exam, and I ended up getting a B plus on it. And, and part of it was because of Steve's generosity and selflessness. So I never forgot that. And of course, um, you know Tommy McTeague, as he was transitioning on the out of the army, I, I was giving him some contacts, contacts you know, for his next whatever his next career path was going to be. So I was in business school at the time, and so I gave him some people in my network as he was looking for his, 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 his civilian opportunity. Um, Jen Kelly, I knew, I knew her too. I had classes with her. Um, and, and then I'm just kind of going through the list here, but Janet Greco, Janet Greco and I signed out of Fort Bragg together. We were sitting next to each other as we were transitioning out. So that was, you know, that was the last time I saw her. And then Paul Haggerty, he was in my beast company. I sat next to him in a history class our first first year. Um, Aaron Pogue was my my sparring partner in plea boxing. So, um, you know he, you know when he when he died, I wrote his I wrote his mother a, a, a you know wrote mother a note and she sent me a a card a nice nice letter a note and she sent me a picture from the front page of the Chicago Tribune of Aaron receiving his diploma. So that's a pretty poignant. Um, memory but i've received a couple of notes from from uh you know from dave reardon's his mother and and everything so i think i've actually traded notes with his sister on facebook too so um you know those are people that i i kind of look back and I, I i remember when i write a donation in their memory i'm gonna start doing that from now on when I make a donation at West Point, I'm going to do it in memory of one of our classmates and send a note to AOG, and then they send it on to the family. I didn't realize that they do that. That's a that's a pretty cool feature, a, a pretty cool service that AOG does. I didn't realize that that, that they did that. Yeah, well, I didn't. You know, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I didn't I didn't know until the until I actually uh, got a got a got a note from David's uh, mother, Dave Rudin's mother. So. Well, Alex, I told you the time was gonna was gonna go super fast, right? So we're getting towards yeah. the end of the podcast here, and I really appreciate your coming on today and talking about all the things in transition from um, you know corporate culture to corporate culture, your experience with um, being a person of color in those different cultures, and uh, and and also just you know being just a tremendous classmate and supporter of, of everybody, especially the families of, of fallen classmates. Um, I'm curious if you have some final thoughts, some, some parting words that you may want to leave with our classmates. Hmm. Well, um, so, yeah, so I guess people, I, some people have referred to me as the person who knows everything about everybody in our class, but uh, I guess what I've, you know, my I, I share some of my dad's uh, personality in that I never met a stranger. So I found it some I had somehow the gift to be able to connect with people, and I try to remember something unique about all the people that I met. <laughs> I've met so that I can remember their name. Um, but 
you know, I participated in quite a few activities as a cadet, you know, the swim team, um, the, the hunting and fishing club, you know, contemporary affairs seminar, um, and there's, you know, some, you know, some other, you know, other, other, you know, the honor committee. And so I had an opportunity to meet quite a few of our classmates, you know, as cadets. Um, so I kind of remember, um, remember, some, you know, something about them, you know, that happened 30 years ago, but, um, you know, I think for me, I kind of, you know, I guess the academy is never too far away from me. The things that really resonate for me at West Point are, I mean, obviously the, the honor code and the, uh, in the, in the academy motto, I think the, uh, also the three rules of thumb, you know, tend to come to mind, even though I may not be able to, I may not be able to spout them out like I used to when I was a flea, but, you know, just the, the, the entire mindset. I think the other, the other thing is this concept of duty and that's, you know, doing your, doing the, doing the best job that you can at any given time and giving it your all. So, those are the things that I've taken from West Point, but I think the other, the, the most important thing that I've realized is is the relationship that I have with my classmates, and that um, I've had several of them go to bat for me as I've been looking for my next career opportunity. Many of whom I didn't spend much time with as a cadet, but they were always willing to always been willing to lend a, an ear or a hand, and um, so I always tried to do the same for others uh, when they're when they're when that hand when someone reaches out to me. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do the best that I can for them. And it's always great to hear from a classmate. Well, we have our reunion coming up in just under 60 days. So that's going to be a great time for us to reconnect with so many classmates. And so, uh, hopefully we'll get lots of opportunities to, 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 to do just that and support each other. And, um, Alex, thank you so much for being my guest tonight on the old grad podcast, representing I4, uh, helping us to sort of you know, reach across the, the core of cadets and get somebody from every company. So thank you for doing yeah. that. Well, thank you. And one other thing I just, I just thought of, you know, you know, I mentioned that my wife, Donna, went to Michigan State. And one thing she said, you know, the first reunion she came, she came to was our 10-year reunion. One thing she, she remarked about um, our classmates in West Point was, you know, sometimes you go to these reunion events, and you never really feel like you're accepted, you know, because you don't know anybody. But she said she comes to a West Point reunion and all the people are nice and friendly and open. And, and I, you know, and we have some very accomplished classmates who are, um, you know, have done very well for themselves. And my wife is always impressed with how gracious and down to earth they are because, you know, I've, you know, we've been some places where some people at that senior executive level who are very accomplished, you know, if, you know, if you were to trip them, they'd fall down Mount Olympus. So um, our classmates certainly have, you know, the West Point community has certainly been very kind and genuine to my wife, who's kind of unfamiliar with the situation. So anyway, I, I'd like to point that out to everyone while they're on the on the call, because that's that's what certainly one of the special aspects of being a graduate. That sure is. I mean, no matter who you are, whether you're a three star general or, you know, a CEO of a company or, or a cattle rancher or whatever, you know, you basically, we all got gas with, with tear gas. We all had to have a dress off. We all had to call minutes. You know, we're all basically at the same most sort of lowest common denominator. We all had the same one. That's the beauty of West Point. And that's the beauty of our relationships with each other. So uh, again, Alex, th- 
thank you so much for being on the old grad podcast. I really appreciate you coming on. I'm going to stop the live stream, but you can stick around. We'll, we'll debrief a little bit. Thank you everybody for joining us. Thank you. Uh, look forward to seeing you in 60 days at our reunion. Thanks for joining us on the old grad podcast. Be Navy. Be Navy. <laughs>